Uh, thank you, thank you. Y'all be seated. Thanks so much. What a joy to be with you this morning at Strong Tower. And I uh, thank God for this church, for its witness in this community, and for the unique work that God has done. And I will tell you what I believe about Strong Tower. The best is yet to come. Amen. Be strong, okay? Uh, there are going to be some seasons, and you've been in some of those seasons, where you think, are we going to make it? Well, you, guess what? You're going to make it, all right? But you've got to be strong uh, in the good times and in the, in the bad times. And uh, I'm just so grateful I get to be a part of uh, worshiping with you. In fact, I worshiped with you last week. And what a great service we had last Sunday morning, didn't we? This place was rocking. It was rocking. And my friend, I don't know if he's here today or not, Larry Warren came, yeah, Larry, Larry came over to me in this aisle as we were getting ready, it was announced I was going to preach today. And he said, man, I'm glad you're following that guy, not me. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something about, and I'm getting just a little bit of ring back up here. Could we, could we maybe eliminate that if we can? Uh, about white preachers and black preachers, okay? A white man never wants to follow a black man preaching. <laughs> Years ago, I was preaching in a state evangelism conference, thousands of people, and I got to the conference and I saw the lineup and they had me preaching behind Robert Smith, who is one of the premier African-American preachers in the world. And I said, uh, we're going to make a change in this program right now. I am not about to preach behind this man because no one's going to hear a word I have to say. So when Larry said that to me last week, I went out to the car and I got my car and uh, I got there and I had my fob and I unlocked the door except it didn't unlock. And I mashed it and it still didn't unlock and I mashed it and I looked over and there was another car about three down. That was my car. And the Lord said, okay, I'm, I'm trying to tell you something, okay? You cannot drive somebody else's car. <laughs> and you can't wear somebody else's armor, all right? You can't preach somebody else's sermon. <laughs> you got to be who you are. So I'm going to just be who I am, all right? Now, how many of you know that today there are more cell phones than there are people on this planet? True story. More cell phones than people on the planet, which means for the first time in history, we are the most connected people in all of human history. In all of human history. We are the most connected people. I looked last night on my Facebook account and I have just about 4,000 friends. And you know what I said to myself? You don't have 4,000 friends. You got 4,000 connections. And if somehow you're operating with this misnomer in your mind that your Facebook account actually gives you the number of the friends you have in this world, then, then you're badly mistaken. You're just connected. Not all those people are your friends. Years ago, I had a man by the name of Wayne Cordero come to People's Church. He's a great preacher from Honolulu, Hawaii, Pastor's New Hope Christian Center. 
And Wayne and I were at dinner one night and we were talking about the things that take place in ministry and sometimes the heartache when you lose a friend uh, as a pastor and how that impacts your life, how that affects you. And Wayne looked at me and he said, Rick said, I'm going to teach you a valuable lesson right here. He said, most friendships in your life come with an expiration date. Man, I got mad. I didn't like the sound of that one bit. I thought, Wayne, you're telling me as a brother, most of our friendships come with that. He said, listen, sometimes friendships are for seasons of your life. He said, if you finish life with one or two, and especially if you had three close friends that went the distance with you, you would be a wealthy, wealthy person. Because most of us don't have those kinds of deep relationships. Most of us cannot afford those kinds of deep relationships. Because if you're a friend, that means you're going to be there with someone through the thick, through the thin, through everything in their life. And that's that a hard role to fulfill. So check your Facebook account today, okay? And you can try to figure out how many of those connections are your friends. But let's go one step further. How many of you ever have felt the sting of betrayal of a friend? Hmm? Hurts, doesn't it? In the 55th Psalm, there is a passage of Scripture where David is struggling because of the loss of a friend. I mean, he didn't get blocked on Facebook, okay? <laughs> it's a little more complicated than that. This man was actually betrayed by a friend. Listen to what he says. Verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising up against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. What's David describing there? Is he, is he describing a connection? Come on, church. What's he describing? He's describing a friend. Not only is he describing a friend, he is describing a close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Down in verse 20 it says, my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart and his words are more soothing than oil and yet they are drawn swords. He's talking about a close friend who's betrayed him in his life. In verse uh, nine of, of Psalm 41 it says, even my close friend, and there's some real interesting things about this verse. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, the word close there, or familiar as some translations have it, comes from the same root word that's often translated peace. That means these men were at peace together. They were as close. And, and then he uses this word where he says this, this close friend. It's a word that means great champion or husband. And when you put these words together, he says, our hearts were wedded together as one and we walked together in peace. He was a friend to the man of God. Now, this is a man who is going to absolutely experience betrayal at such a level that his heart's broken. And I won't go back and read all that's in uh, Psalm 55 because he kind of calls down the heat of the Lord 
uh, on that friend and others, and I'm not sure that's exactly what the Lord would have us to do in this day and time, but we want to discover some things about this friend. Who was he and what was going on? 2 Samuel chapter 15 says this, while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Now, guys, listen, not only sometimes will your friends hurt you, sometimes your own family is going to hurt you. Absalom was a son. And Absalom used to go out to the gate of the city as people would come in. He said, I tell you what, if I were in charge, if I were in charge, there'd be people to, to I, I would hear your, your complaints. Uh, I would be a wise judge. I would do the right thing for you. And people begin to say, well, you know what? Maybe he'll make a better leader than, than David. And so there's a conspiracy going on. And what does this son do? He sends for David's most trusted counselor. And notice what it says. You're going to do a little Bible flipping this morning. 2 Samuel 16, verse 20. You know, I used to say, turn in your Bibles. Now I just say, turn on your Bibles. I don't know how you get your copy of the scripture these days, but mine's electronic. Absalom said to Ahithophel, this is this man's name, this close friend. He says, give us your advice. What should we do? And Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of Israel. And those days, the advice that Hithophel gave was like that of the one who inquires of God. This was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Now guys, don't miss this, all right? We're not talking about a Facebook friend. We're talking about a friend friend. We're not even talking about a friend friend. We're talking about a good friend. We're not even talking about a good friend. We're talking about a friend that David says, this man was wedded to my soul. We shared the things of God together. And yet when Absalom begins to conspire to take over the kingdom from his father, who does he call on? And why does this man respond like he does? And notice what he says. He said, first of all, I want you to slip to the concubines. And then he said in chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose, if I were you, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people will, with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. And this plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. And let me tell you something. It was a good plan. And if they had followed through on that plan, it would have worked. David would have been killed. All the people would have returned. 
That's not what happened because God intervened. God sent another man and he confused the counsel and the advice of Ahithophel. So, but you still, I'm still wondering, why would a man do something like that? Look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the passage of scripture. It says, in the spring at the time when kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah. Now that little phrase, the daughter of Eliam. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 34 says, Eliam, son of Ahithophel, the Gileonite. Uh-oh. Why would Ahithophel give this kind of advice to Absalom? And notice the first advice. He says, I want you to gather all the concubines of your father. I want you to sleep on the roof in view of all Israel. We want Israel to know how obnoxious your father is in your eyes. You know why he did that? Because that's exactly what David had done with Bathsheba, his granddaughter. Talking to you this morning about beware the spirit of Ahithophel. And what is the spirit of Ahithophel? It's not that he was a betrayer, okay? What was going on in Ahithophel's heart was he could not forgive. He served in David's courts for almost 10 years. Giving David the kind of counsel that, I mean, the scripture says, whenever Ahithophel spoke, it was like God spoke. But all the while, there was something gnawing in Ahithophel's heart. It was like he was saying, David, one day when you least expect it, I am I'm going to get you for what you did to Bathsheba. I'm going to get you for what you did to my granddaughter. And so while he appears to be the king's friend, while he's given this sound counsel, there's something that is loose in his heart. He's just biding his time where he can go back and he can betray the man who caused him the greatest hurt in his life. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Listen, church, very closely. The spirit of Ahithophel is an unforgiving spirit. And I think it's the most prevalent spirit in the heart of American Christianity. We keep saying we'd like to see God send revival in America. You know what's going to have to take place for that to ever happen? It's for the church to get right. And for the church to get right with one another. And for us to quit carrying grudges and offenses. 
and talking about how hurt we are and then using that God talk. You know, I, I know we're all from the South. But I tell you, when somebody says to me, bless your heart, I mean, I start backing up. Because <laughs> I know there's a dagger in there somewhere, all right? Bless your heart in Southern means I'm about to flay you like a fish. And we use this God talk in our churches today about forgiveness when there's no forgiveness that's ever encountered there. I love the, the, the New Living Testament says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That word for many, or if the word bitterness is pikram, meaning to cut, pointed, or sharp, it implies a bitter taste. It's never constructive. It's always destructive. It, he, it can be expressed in a number of ways. Anger, passion, slander, malice. And you see, forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that is a result of a wrong done against you. And the person, listen carefully, the person who refuses to forgive loses every time. Every time. You say, Pastor Rick, you, you just don't know. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I understand. I understand hurts in life. But I also understand if you carry them in your heart, you're not going to hurt the other person. You're going to kill yourself. Now, let me prove that to you. I don't want that to be just an opinion. I want to prove it to you. 2 Samuel 17, verse 23. After Hushai had absolutely convoluted the, the council, and, and here's what he said. Hushai went to, to Absalom and said, Absalom, you know, Ahithophel is a great guy. He generally tells us the right thing to do. But I'll tell you, you know your daddy is like a bear cub. And if you go after him tonight, he's going to be hiding. He's going to jump out of the bushes. He's going to kill you. You're going to be defeated. You're going to be embarrassed. So don't, don't just, just let him get on the rocks and hide, do whatever he needs to do. Just give him a break, okay? And that's what they did. 2 Samuel 17 says, When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, he set out for his house in his hometown, he put his house in order, and then he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. Unforgiveness in your heart and my heart will always lead to destruction. Hey, listen, uh, there's always, there's so much God talk today, so much God talk that's not biblical. You need to forgive so-and-so for this, so-and-so for that because you don't want to hurt them. Listen, you need to forgive because you don't want to be in prison. If you want to get to the bottom line, you want to forgive because you want your life to be healthy. And if you carry bitterness and grudge and offense, it's just going to lead to destruction in your own life. His best-selling book, The Telling Room, Michael Paterni says, uh, tells about a true story he heard when visiting his father's ancestral village in Sicily. He says this, every day while he was in the village, he saw a very old woman walking with her cane struggling up a steep road to get to the local cemetery. It was said that at her, at her tortoise pace, the walk from her home to the cemetery and back took about six hours of her day. So obviously, this is a very feeble person. What grief inspired her difficult daily walk 
Was she driven by sorrow over a departed child or a deceased husband, the love of her life? No. The locals told fraternity that she was driven by a sitio or bitter hatred. Her arch enemy was buried in that cemetery, so rain or shine, the old woman walked up the hill every day to her enemy's graveside just to spit on it one more time. I doubt seriously that there is one person in this room who has not been hurt. And I am very certain there's not one of us who hasn't hurt someone else. But let me ask you, what are you doing with those hurts, guys? You know, it, that, that had to be a terrible thing for Ahithophel and Eliam to see what happened to Bathsheba. For the king to use her as a pawn and to have his way with her. But there came a point where there had to be something that would transpire in that man's heart. And all the while, he just, he hides his sin in a cloak of darkness until the right moment to strike. He thinks he's going to see the king humiliated and dead, and he takes his own life. The scripture is real clear when it says, see to it, no one comes short of the grace of God. It gives us kind of three little instructions here. Number one, be diligent. Be diligent about an unforgiving spirit in your heart and life. Don't let it go unchecked. Stay on the mark, so to speak. Don't get lackadaisical. If you know you're struggling and you haven't forgiven someone, you be diligent because if you're not, it's going to impact you. It's not going to impact the other person. See, when you carry bitterness in your heart, it's like swallowing poison thinking somebody else is going to die. That's nuts. It's not going to impact them. It's going to impact your life. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And I think that means live in grace. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Man, we are saved by grace, right? Well, you know what? We're not just saved by grace. We're to live in grace. And we're to let that same grace of God continue to permeate our heart and our life in our relationships. Isn't it imagine, just something like this, isn't it imagine that most of the New Testament, especially the Pauline letters, were written instructing believers how to treat one another? <laughs> now, you would think if our, our life is new in Christ, we would need that instruction. But the truth of the matter is, we still live with that old Adamic nature, don't we? We have to be diligent, and we have to keep remembering, man, I'm, I'm only here because of the grace of God. Thirdly, you got to guard against a root of bitterness. Now, anybody that knows our family well knows that we have the ability to kill silk plants at our house. When it comes to being able to grow something, we were in the back of the line when they passed out that gift. So when I left the church back in March, my wife said to me, I want some flowers for our deck. I want to spiff up things. And so I called uh, one of my dear friends, Shelly Moeller, at, over at Truvega Hardware, and I said, Shelly, Patty wants some flowers and some plants. 
and I don't know anything about them. But if you'll fix it up, I'll buy them from you. She said, Rick, I'll get the pots, I'll get the dirt, I'll get the flowers, we'll come over, we'll plant them for you. And she did. And I got to tell you, I have been like a warrior, Pastor Chris, a warrior on watering. I water those plants. And I mean from March until September the 6th today, they're beautiful. They are, they are doing well. But I have stayed at it. Water, 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 water. Tell me what else I found out though. Sometimes a weed gets into the dirt alongside the plant. You know what I found out about that weed? I mean, you can squirt it all day long, but it's going to come back. What do you got to do to a weed to get rid of it? You got to peel it up by what? The roots. By the roots. If you don't want it to come back and overtake your plant, you got to pull it up by the roots. When you have an unforgiving spirit in your life, it is like a root of bitterness. You have to deal with it. And if you do not deal with it, it is going to deal with you. And it's going to overtake your life. Now, for some reason, I just lost all the notes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> what are the effects of bitterness? And I'll tell you, they're always trouble. Number one, physical illness. Physical illness. Because, you see, bitterness is not just getting mad. Bitterness is a lifestyle. It's not one simple occurrence. It runs on us all the time, even when you're not conscious of it. And that's why you've got to be diligent because you don't want to let bitterness go un unchecked in your life. Bitterness, anger, negative emotions, they've all been linked to a number of physical illnesses. And folks, I don't mean to be unkind. I'm not trying to be haughty in spirit. But I'm going to tell you, there are people who are dealing with some sicknesses in their life today. If they just would repent and get past their bitterness, their body would improve immediately. They're treating the symptom rather than what's on the inside that's causing the sickness. Secondly, stained and strained relationships. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it no one misses the grace of God. No bitter root grows up that cause trouble and defile many. The word defile means to stain or to die. And you see, there are many people in relationships where the walls are up. There's little or no emotional connection. They wonder why they can't love, why they can't communicate, why they can't build other healthy relationships. And I'll tell you why. Because there is a root of bitterness in their heart. And it's impacting every other relationship. Even people that they would say, I'm not mad at that person. But it's so impacting who they are that everything they touch is being impacted. And, and thirdly, and one of the worst things about this, if you live with a root of bitterness, you're going to have spiritual stumbling blocks in your life. It's going to cause you to live with a cloak of guilt. Always about being unsure about your relationship to God. I can't tell you how many people in pastoral ministry I've talked to over 40 years unsure about their relationship to the Lord, always doubting. You begin to talk to them about, is there anything in your life, any unconfessed sin, any root of bitterness? Is there somebody that you, you've been mad at so long you've even forgotten their name? So the question then becomes, 
how can we recover from this? Because thank God, hey, you know everything you can recover? Everything you lost, you can recover in the grace of God. You understand that? That's why when you wear those T-shirts that say, be strong, <laughs> you want to be strong. Because you're not being defined by the failures of yesterday. Not when it comes to God's grace. Ephesians 4 says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. That is a, a means by which he begins to advance his, his ground in your life. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no more, but work, uh, but work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let, listen carefully, listen carefully. I'm going to say it one more time. Listen carefully. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And could I just add a little caveat here? Do not post any unwholesome talk. There are a lot of cowards sitting behind computers today. Spewing venom. Scripture says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only the kind of talk that will benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Hey, listen, you don't forgive someone because they deserve it. <laughs> they may not deserve it. You forgive someone because God forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And guess what? You still don't deserve it. You're never going to show up at, at the kingdom and say, why, and God, why should I let you in? Well, because, I mean, I, I deserve it. No, what you deserve is to be smoking more now and enjoying it less. Some of you didn't get that. You're not old enough. We all deserve hell. Okay? Heaven is a gift of God. It's by his grace. So I, I don't forgive people based on their, if they deserve it or not. I forgive just as I was forgiven. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The truth of the matter is, uh, I, I don't have the strength, the energy, the wither to, to, to forgive. That can only come about in God's grace in your own life. So if you're trying to lean on your own strength to forgive, you're probably not going to make it, okay? You're going to have to have a sit down with yourself, what I call a come to Jesus meeting. And you're going to have to sit down, wait a minute, how did, how did I get where I am today? I know it wasn't because I deserved it. It was because of God's grace. 
And listen, folks, I don't want anyone in this building. I mean, I've got my children here. My grandchildren are here. I've got a number of friends here this morning. I don't want anybody I know and love living with an unforgiving spirit in their life. Uh, I've, I'm called a cancer survivor. Uh, I've had cancer, serious cancer twice, and then basal cell carcinoma on my face. So that's a three times. And, and I choose to say today, I'm not a cancer survivor. I, I'm a cancer conqueror. <laughs> uh, my wife's got cancer right now, and we believe she's going to conquer that cancer. I mean, we're standing on that, all right? There's one thing I dread far more than cancer, and that's an unforgiving spirit in my heart. Because that unforgiving spirit will not only kill me, it'll get in the root system of my relationships, and by it, many will be defiled. Many will be defiled. Let me just give you five or six real practical things if you're dealing with an unforgiving spirit towards someone. Number one, just make a list of the ways you've been hurt and offended, okay? Put it down in black and white. Number two, make a list of your own thoughts. Then you might want to see which list is longer, okay? Just say it. That's all I'm going to say. Number three, make a list of the things you have done and for which God has forgiven you. Ask God to help you view the person who wronged you as a tool in his hands. Doesn't mean that you're all excited about them, okay? You know, I, I've made some decisions about forgiveness with some people. I've forgiven them, but we ain't going to be doing lunch. All right? Now, and I'll address that in a minute, Okay? Ask God to forgive you for your bitterness towards that person. Decide in your heart to assume total responsibility for your attitude. You know what? I, can't, I cannot be responsible for the hurts that come my way, but I can be responsible for how I respond to those hurts. And that's all you can be responsible for is your attitude. And finally, if appropriate... If appropriate, and sometimes it's not, but if appropriate, confess bitterness and ask forgiveness from that person. And then move on with your life. Put that past in the rear view mirror and don't ever look at that mirror again. Go on with your life. When I was uh, first of the year, when I was still at People's, I was in a couple of series. One was uh, dealing with the storms in your life, and then I was preaching from the 23rd Psalm, and little did I know that I was going to be living those series rather than preaching those series, but they, they came my way. And what I realized is, man, you got to go back and look at what you preached and ask yourself, do you really believe this stuff? And if you do, you got to live this. And you know what? Uh, let me say this. Uh, when Patty and I celebrated our 25th anniversary at People's, we looked at each other and said, if we get fired tomorrow, what we would have to say is, thank you, God, it's been a wonderful ride. 
And so 32 and a half years, you know what I say today? It was a wonderful ride. I loved every minute of it. I really loved every minute of it. But you see, God's got a different plan for my life right now. And even when you think that the hurt that you've experienced isn't going to overcome you, I want you to remember this. The Lord says to you that he is our shepherd. He leads us in valleys. He even, he even makes for us a banquet table in the presence of perceived enemies. Now, do you know what that looks like? Can, can I put this on the floor, Pastor? John, would you help me with that? Just Now, I'm going to ask John. John, will you come up here? I asked these two brothers to help me with this closing illustration here. Just, just look, you guys just look at me, okay? Now, I'm a pretty good-sized boy, but ain't no way I'm getting through these boys, all right? We got some big guys right here. And let's say, for pictorial reasons, these are my enemies. And you understand that sometimes you can't go through your enemies. You can't go around your enemies. You can't go under your enemies. You can't go over your enemies. You know what God says to you then? I'm going to make a banquet table for you in the presence of your enemies. So here's what a table looks like. John, uh, I'm going to need a little refreshment. I'm at my banquet table, okay? How you doing down there? <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'll keep that part. All right. <laughs> Here's what I'll say to you. Don't live with a bunch of garbage in your life. If you've been hurt, okay, I get that. I get that. And I'm not even going to say just get over it. That's not what you got to do. You got to forgive it. Now, big difference between forgiveness and being reconciled and playing kissy and doing lunch and all that stuff, all right? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you don't have to live with an unforgiving spirit. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do this morning. All throughout this building, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads for just a moment. Bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you would say, and, and listen, you're Ahithophel, you're Ahithophel, maybe a member of your family. You're Ahithophel, maybe that best friend that you thought would never walk out of your life. I don't know who your Ahithophel is. But if you know that you're living and you're dealing right now with an unforgiving spirit, I'm going to ask you, just as a matter, first of all, of confession, 
just quietly, with no one looking around, just stand up to your feet. We're going to deal with this right now. Just stand up and say, I'm, I'm dealing with an unforgiving spirit. Yeah. Now, what we're going to do next is we're going to root it out. Because I'm going to ask you, by faith, to say, Lord Jesus, you forgave me of all my sin. I did not deserve it. I'm not denying that the hurt took place in my life by this person that's hurt me. But what I am saying is today, I'm pulling that root of bitterness out of my life. They're no longer going to control my thought patterns. They're not going to control my life. I'm going to live free in Jesus. Because when you walk out of church today, I want you to walk out of here absolutely free, absolutely at peace with God and peace in your relationships. So our Father, we come into your presence. We have an amazing capacity to hurt one another in life. Some of us have been duped into thinking somehow that life's supposed to be fair. You never describe the world like that to us. In fact, you told us in this world you're going to have tribulation. But you also told us we are to forgive people. We're to forgive so that our heart does not get cold and callous and small and hard. There are people in this room this morning who've been hurt by love relationships where spouses have walked out on them, where business partners have betrayed them. There are people who've been hurt in church, by the church. There are all kinds of hurts. There are family hurts here today. And some of us have even let a root of bitterness toward family begin to spoil every other relationship that you intended for us. And so God, today, in this house, as Pastor Chris is guest, I stand against the spirit of Ahithophel. And I pray that each person will in faith today release the hurt, just accept the responsibility for their attitude and their response. That's all they can do. You tell us, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. We can't be responsible for that other person, but Lord, we can accept our responsibility. And so today, Lord, we release that. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Because when enemies thought it was all over, you had a picnic table for us. You had refreshment for us. And there are people who today need to get to the banquet table. And I don't want that root of bitterness to keep them from enjoying that spread that you've got for them. So I pray that today by faith they release that hurt in Jesus' name. And everybody who would agree with this prayer said, amen and amen. Pastor.